Would you please take uh, the Word of God with me and uh, turn to the book of Exodus, and we'll be in uh, chapter 16. Exodus and uh, chapter 16. The message last time, it's been a number of weeks now, uh, we took a brief uh, break from the book of Exodus, and so now we return to chapter 16. The message last time was manna for murmurers, and we uh, spend some time to talk last time that based out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and what Jesus Christ mentioned during his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, that uh, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Well, that was a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we found an explanation as to why God chose to feed the children of Israel with manna. And if I could just read that portion while you're here in Exodus 16, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 1, the Bible says, All the commandments which I command thee this day, and shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord share, uh, gave unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger. So understand that the idea here, when there is no food, that was God's design and God's plan. To do what? He suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, uh, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live, live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. And so Israel comes to an understanding very clearly that the reason why that, why that God caused them to hunger, brought them in the wilderness where there was no food, is because He wanted them not to learn to live by bread alone, but to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. So we saw that very clearly in Exodus chapter 16, and we made some connections between the manna and the Word of God. Now there's another application about the manna that we're going to find this evening. What I would like to do is uh, begin reading in verse 16. We read last time verse 1 through verse 17. This time we're going to begin reading in verse 16 and read down through the end of the chapter. And so let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. In Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, an omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered, and some more, some less. And when they did eat meat, uh, and when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. 
And they gathered, gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink. Now that's because earlier, if you left it till the next day, it did stink. But when they gather for two days to keep it toward, uh, in, on the Sabbath day, it did not stink. And neither was there any worm therein. Praise the Lord. Verse 25. And Moses said, Eat that today. For today is the Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See... For that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And that means it was sweet. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Now as we read the first part of the chapter last time, I'd like to bring your attention uh, to verse Three. Or verse, notice verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. I will rain bread from heaven for you. I like to uh, preach this evening on the manna from heaven. The manna from heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. Lord, bless the reading of your word, and Lord, as we consider what the manna represents, we ask that you would help us to see the uh, comparison clearly, and that we might uh, find what this passage is communicating as we look at the whole of the Bible revelation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we noted last time, the manna is representative of the words of the Lord. 
that man should not learn to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. But as we have here our place in the book of Exodus in chapter 16, we make that comparison because it is found for us in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it is also found for us in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus Christ directly refers back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so we don't make that comparison uh, out of a guess. It is made in the Word of God. But there is another time that there is a comparison made between the manna and something, or might I say, someone else. And so with that said, I would like for you to hold your place here in Exodus chapter 16. We're going to come back here. But I want us to turn to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we're going to see the second comparison. By the way, uh, that is how wonderful the Word of God is. Uh, that when we think about, there is often here, as we'll see, by the way, I will preach on that next time. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about a lot about how the human nature is revealed in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, how they did not hearken and they refused. And we're going to look at that. Um, and so there is a, a, an application that we make on the text itself. But often, uh, God's Word gives us permission to make another application that is not immediately found in the text, but it is found in the whole of the Bible revelation. And so we made primarily because it is found uh, the soonest after, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, that the manna is representative of the words of the Lord. And Jesus Christ makes that clear. But here in John chapter 6, Jesus Christ will speak of this manna again, but He will speak of the manna as representative of Himself. And so in John chapter 6, now there is quite a bit going on here, uh, but I would like for us, in order for us to come back to Exodus chapter 16 and to make the application that I will make, it is necessary for us to see what John 6 says and what Jesus teaches so that we can make the application then. And so we're going to spend a little time here and then return in Exodus 16. So notice with me, in John chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 22. And so I want us to keep in mind what we saw the manna and some of the elements, some of the things that we read about the manna and where it came and how it came and to whom it came and what it looked like and uh, what it was to do for man and how man handled the manna. All those things are important. Let's look here at what John 6.22 says. The day following... When the people which stood on the other side of the sea sat that there, uh, saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Now keep in mind, Jesus, remember what he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. So he brought the attention to the word of God, 
life is more than meat. It is more than raiment. Uh, there is something spiritual and eternal about our life on earth uh, that we must be aware of. And so he says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now who did Jesus Christ send? Jesus Christ his Son. They are to believe on Jesus Christ. Verse 30. They said, notice, there is no work, it's believing on him that God sent. Verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou uh, then that we may see and believe what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Notice, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So you remember the bread from heaven that came in the wilderness? Now we're talking about the true bread. It's not the same bread, but it's the true bread. So it tells us that the manna was not the true bread, but was representative of the true bread. Now, he goes on to say, verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye, shall, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall, not come to, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now notice the expression, I came down from heaven. Verse 39, And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again in the last day. Uh, he's referring to the resurrection. And this is the will of him that sent me, and every one which seeth the Son believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So you notice here, they murmured because they understood what Jesus was claiming. Jesus was claiming to be the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Now it's interesting that they're murmuring here as they murmured in Exodus chapter 16. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. I will raise him up at the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now understand here, do you see how they're completely missing the point? The manna that was physically eaten in Exodus provided daily sustenance. But Jesus Christ is showing them that the manna uh, that fed their flesh was representative of something that was spiritual and eternal, not temporal. And so he is encouraging, and they're completely missing the point because they're the ones that brought the manna up. And Jesus Christ is showing them, he's talking not about temporal life, he's talking about eternal life. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat of uh, of the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink uh, his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father hath sent me. And I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So Jesus Christ a number of times referred to himself, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And so he's making a direct reference to the manna that came what? Down from heaven. And he's saying that was a shadow It was a picture of me. I am the true bread. Was there a temporal, physical benefit of the manna? Yes, there was. But that's not all the manna was. There is a spiritual lesson for us in the manna. And that's what I would like to spend some time emphasizing Because the manna, if you go back with me to Exodus chapter 16, the manna is not just a representation of the Word of God, but it is also a representation of Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who is the bread that came down from heaven, who is the true bread, not that gives temporal sustenance, but who gives eternal life. And so I would like to take the opportunity with some liberty based upon what Jesus said to look here at Exodus chapter 16 and to compare the manna and to see how it shadows Jesus Christ who is to come. And so I would like to note a number of things and if you would want to write this down, 
I believe that will be helpful. And I do want to give us um, a disclaimer here that I by no means have exhausted this chapter. I did not, when I refer to the man as the Word of God, and I am not doing so here, uh, it, time has constraints. <laughs> and so the study that I'm giving you tonight is all that I had time to do. But I'm convinced that there is more in this chapter. So it's a challenge for you to study yourself. I want us to notice, first of all, if we go back to the very first verse, we note the location upon which the manna first came. As you read in the first verse of Exodus chapter 16, the Bible says, They took a journey into Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of what? Of sin. Now the manna, it's interesting here that the location where the manna will first come from heaven will be while the children of Israel are in the wilderness of sin. Now I do not think that that is a coincidence at all. Because there are many wildernesses that had a specific name. But when the manna first came, which is representative of Jesus Christ, we know later in John chapter 6, uh, we know that the manna came in the wilderness of sin. And so when we think about Jesus Christ, who is the true bread that came from heaven, He also came to the wilderness of sin. He also came and He dwelt among sinful men. And so the likeness here of this manna coming shows us that when Jesus Christ came, He came in the wilderness of sin. We also note a second thing in this chapter, and that is we note the condition of the people when the manna first came. Verse 3 tells us that the children of Israel, verse 2 says, All the congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And then in verse 3, uh, the Bible tells us again, that the Lord, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And so they're murmuring and they are complaining. And as I made the point last time, that when God gives manna, He gives the manna to a murmuring people. He gives manna to a people who are undeserving. In other words, what they deserve as they're uh, complaining and murmuring against God... God does not judge them in that moment. He gives them manna. And so when Christ came, the condition of the people was a condition of sinfulness. It was a condition of being rebels against God. Uh, we even know that when Jesus Christ came, the Bible says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that he came, the light came into the world, but darkness, loved, uh, but, but darkness rejected the light because it loves uh, darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And so when the manna came here, it came amongst an evil people. And when Jesus Christ came, He also came among an evil people. We also see, if you notice with me in verse 4, the Bible says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and, and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. The next thing we note is we note that the provenance of the manna when it first came. Where did this manna come from? Well, the Bible tells us that this manna came from heaven. 
It came directly from heaven. It was not God. Uh, if you would, He could have grown manna from the ground. Uh, he, he could have uh, uh, changed as He had done before. He uh, turned uh, the dust in Egypt into lice. He could have taken something and He could have turned it into something else. But God purposely tells them that the manna that they're going to see in the morning when it's there comes from heaven. It is not the product of the earth. It is not the product of um, created matter. It is the product of heaven. If you hold your place here, by the way, we're going back and forth between this and the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, by the way, the uh, great uh, chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice with me verse 47 and 48. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47, the Bible says, The first man is of the earth, earthly, now that's who? Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Verse 48. As is the earthly, such are they also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And so there is a clear separation between what is earthly and what is heavenly. And the Bible tells us that the first Adam, uh, the first man, he was earthly, that's Adam. Remember, he was uh, made of the dust of the ground and God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. But when the judgment came, God says that dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. Why? Because he is made of the ground. He is but flesh. He is, he is uh, if you would, uh, uh, made of the matter, but not that which is heavenly. You see, yes, Jesus Christ was a man, but he was not just a man uh, that was the seed of man. He was, yes, made of a woman, but he came from heaven. His provenance, his origination is heaven. Outside of creation, he that is eternal. And so we know the providence of the manna. It shows us that Jesus Christ, Messiah, he also came down from heaven. And he said himself so in John chapter 6, as we read just a moment ago. We also note that the manifestation of the people, or the manifestation to the people when the manna first came. Now this is quite significant because notice with me in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 16. And it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they, the whole congregation, looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Now, we read that statement and we think, okay, the glory of the Lord. Well, we already know. We already saw that. You remember when they were by the Red Sea and there was a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And so haven't they already seen the glory of the Lord? Well, as a matter of fact, this is the first time this is mentioned in the Scriptures, that man sees the glory of the Lord. First time it is mentioned. Now we know that the pillar of cloud, no doubt, is representative of the glory of God, but the first time the Bible says that they saw the glory of the Lord is right here in Exodus chapter 16. You see, this is the first time in Scripture that we read about the glory of the Lord appearing unto people. It was not, think about it, and I think that when we think about the manna being a 
foreshadow or a picture of Jesus Christ. Well, we know that it was not until Jesus Christ came in the flesh that we beheld the glory of the Lord as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it's interesting to see that connection that the first time that the Bible describes them looking to the wilderness and seeing the glory of God is when the manna is going to come. And so it is when Jesus Christ came. It is the first time that man beheld the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews chapter 1. Let, let, let's, turn, let's turn to a few passages, would you? So we could see that in uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. We looked at that this morning. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory... As of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the Bible says we beheld the glory. The glory of who? The Father in Jesus Christ. Uh, notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, verse 9. Or verse, uh, excuse me, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's go to one more. Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, you may uh, know those verses here. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. And so we know uh, that when Jesus Christ came, finally man was able to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the manna came, it is the first time that the Scripture ever refers to man seeing the glory of God. We also note in verse 15 that the manna was a free gift. If you notice with me in verse 15, the Bible says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath charged you? No, given you. There is uh, no indebtedness for this man. As a matter of fact, we read at the end of the chapter that the manna would be given to them for all 40 years of the wilderness wanderings. That not one day would go by. And by the way, even in their rebellion, the manna didn't come because they deserved the manna. It's clear they did not deserve the manna. The manna came to give them what they needed. And so Jesus Christ came not because we deserve it, but because we need it. And so the manna came, and the manna was a free gift. The children of Israel did not earn the gift up to this point. Everything that brought them to the place where they are has been God. The Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, the waters of Marah changing from bitter to sweet, and now when the manna comes, none of it has been deserved. None of it has been based on the merit of the children of Israel. It's been a gift of God. And the manna is that. 
a free gift. Well, so is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we see that in the manna. We also note in verse 13 and 14 of Exodus 16 that the manna came to where the people were. Verse 13 says, And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoar frost on the ground. So what we know here is that the manna didn't come. They didn't have to travel a great distance to go get the manna. The manna came to them from God, from heaven to them. And by the way, uh, we know that the scripture makes it clear that when we think about salvation, uh, we were not seeking God. He was seeking us. We see that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, when man sin and rebel against God, and God comes in the cool of the day in the garden to, to be in fellowship and commune with man, he was seeking for man. And who was hiding? Man was. Adam was hiding. Why? He was ashamed. And God said, Where art thou? Where are you? God was seeking for Adam. Adam was hiding. And so it is with the manna. God brought the manna where, right to where man was. Man was not looking To get to God, God was looking to get to man with the manna. And so he did with his son. His son came and dwelt among us. He came to where we were. Isn't that an awesome thing? So that he might bring us up to where God is. And so we see the manna came to where the people were. Uh, by the way, I like what uh, I referred to that a few weeks back in 1 John uh, chapter 1. He talks about uh, that which we have seen and heard, handled, we declare unto you. You see, Jesus came to where man was, just like the manna came to where they were. I'd like to make another note. Is that As we just read a moment ago, we note... The sanctity in which the manna came. Now, uh, the point here that we find, if you notice in the text, notice Exodus chapter 16. Let's read again verse 13 and 14. Uh, there's something that we note here, and I believe it's, it's helpful to us, verse 13. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, notice, the dew lay round about the host. So I want us to think here that when, um, uh, before the manna came... The Bible says the dew lay around the host. Verse 14, And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing. So understand that the manna did not come on the dust of the ground. It lay upon the dew. What does that mean? Uh, Hold your place here. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Uh, Notice with me in um, verse 9. Here is, he makes it clear here in Numbers 11, verse 9. 
And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. What's the it? The dew. So the manna did not fall on the dust of the ground. The manna fell on the dew. And so it's, I think it's important here because the manna did not fall on the dust of the earth. It fell upon the dew. And they were to gather the manna first thing in the morning. And so, uh, by the way, when we think about how does that uh, compare to Jesus Christ, well, Jesus Christ was made flesh, but He did not share in the sinfulness of mankind. In other words, the Bible makes it clear that He was separate from sinners. And when Jesus Christ came and the, 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 the dust of the ground is representative of the curse because remember when God says I, I made man from the dust dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return it's part of the curse and the dust forever represents the curse that man is subjected to but Jesus Christ when he came he didn't come in the dust and the dirt of the ground he lay on the dew why? because he is separate from sinners he is made higher than the heavens and so we notice the sanctity in which the manna came. You see, Jesus Christ, oh yes, He was a man, but He is also God in the flesh. 100% man and 100% God, yet without sin. Uh, made in the likeness of men, but in the likeness of men, but not sinful men. So we notice the sanctity in which the manna came. We also note something else, and that is we note that the manna was white in color. Now, as I mentioned that about the word last time, we could make the comparison here in verse 31, where the Bible says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And so we note here that the manna was white in color. And so I think that those two go together, that the fact that the manna, when it came, it didn't lie in the dust, it lay on the dew. And when uh, it came, the people saw it, the Bible tells us that it was white. Well, I believe that represents, it's representative of the fact that Jesus Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says that Jesus knew no sin. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says that Jesus was without sin. According to 1 Peter 2.22, Jesus was separate from sinners. According to 1 Peter 1.19, Jesus was without spot and blemish. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. That's who Jesus was. You see, Jesus Christ is referred to as the spotless Lamb of God. And when He is clothed in Revelation, He is clothed in white. Why? Because He is holy. And by the way, because we have His righteousness in the book of Revelation, we are also clothed in white. Why? Because His righteousness has been imputed into our, our account. So we know both the sanctity in which the manna came and that the manna was white in color. But I would also like to note that the manna had to be grounded and baked. Now, a few things are mentioned here, but if you turn with me to Numbers 11, we have uh, some more details 
about what they were to do with the manna. Notice in Numbers 11 and verse 8. The Bible says, And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills to beat it in a mortar and bake it in pans and make cakes of it and the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. If you've ever, how many of you have ever made bread? A lot of beating takes place, doesn't it? <laughs> a lot of grounding and, and beating. And, and, and notice that's what was supposed to be done uh, with the manna. It had to be grounded and it had to be baked. Well, isn't the manna representative of Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, He was bruised for our iniquities. With His stripes, we are healed. The wrath of the Almighty God was poured on the Son. And by the way, it was at, uh, because of us. Because of our sin. Uh, we are the ones who uh, made it that Jesus had to be crucified and judged by the Almighty God. And so there's a sense here in which the manna had to, had to be ground. And that's exactly what we, you and I, have done to our Lord because of our sin. We note something else. We note that the manna was sweet to the taste. Didn't look like anything. That's why they called it manna. Manna means what is it? What is this thing? They didn't know what it was. They were instructed as to what to do with it. They know what color it was. They know what the taste. And when they tasted it, it was sweet. And uh, so is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is sweet to the taste. Sweeter than anything that we've ever known. But we know one more thing, and that is that the manna was laid up before the testimony. If you notice with me at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 32, And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations. Now, you have to fill an omer of the what? The manna. That they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness. I want you to um, separate a portion of the manna. And I want you to fill an omer of it because I want everybody to be reminded... What I did for you in the wilderness, I want everybody to see how I fed you, what it was that fed you. He says, I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt, verse 33. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein. And so take the pot and fill the pot up with manna and lay it up before the Lord. And uh, notice, to be kept... For your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Now the question is here is, what is the testimony? Now we really don't know here because up to this point, we don't have a tabernacle. The, the, the tabernacle has not been instituted yet. But we would say here that the testimony would be, as we'll see later in the book of Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant. That's the testimony of the Lord. And we know that this pot of manna is going to be placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. 
If you turn with me, hold your place there and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews in chapter 9. Notice with me in verse 24. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. Now, <clears throat> he's referring back to everything in the Old Testament is a figure of the heavenly, a figure of the spiritual. It's not the true. Right? We know that the manna was not the true manna. Jesus was the true bread that came from heaven. Those things were figures of the true. And so Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Notice verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood, with a blood of others. If you notice back in verse 23, it says, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. You see, when we uh, look at the manna, what, what's the significance that, okay, you get a pot, Moses and uh, Aaron, and, and put the manna in the pot so that it would be a reminder to the generations of what fed you. Don't, don't they know? I mean, what's the significance of putting it in a pot and putting it before the testimony? You see, there is something that is beyond the temporal nature of the manna itself. And, and by the way, doesn't the manna after a day perish, except on the Sabbath? If you keep the manna and it goes on the next day, it, it, it breeds worms, except on the Sabbath. That was the only day they did not do that. You could keep it for a second day. But the manna that is to be placed in the pot is to be a reminder as a before the testimony to the generations of what God did for the children of Israel. And here's the lesson. Here's, this is all the message. That the manna gave them what they needed and satisfied them. They were able to go in the wilderness where there was nothing. For 40 years having been given from God to the full, every day, everything they needed. And here's the lesson for us. Everything we need, every day of our lives, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything we need for every day of our lives will be found in the person of Jesus Christ. So let me give you the summary and we're done. We noted the location in the manna, the wilderness of sin. The condition of the people to whom the manna came, a murmuring and sinful people. The manifestation to the people, they saw the glory of God when the manna came. 
We notice the providence of the manna, the manna came from heaven. And we note that the manna was a, was a free gift. And that it came to where the people were. And that the manna was, in a sense, uh, sanctified in that it was, it was uh, pure and that it lay on the dew and not in the dust. And that it was white and represents purity. And that it was to be ground and, and baked and that it was sweet to the taste and that it was to be set before the testimony of God. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ is to us. He came in the wilderness of sin. He came to a sinful and evil people. When He came, the glory of God was manifested. It came, it was bread from heaven. Not bread that would give us uh, a temporal satisfaction, but eternal life and an everlasting life. And we know that this bread from heaven, that Jesus Christ came, that He came as a free gift. It doesn't need to be earned. It doesn't need to be contended for. It is given to us for free. And that Jesus Christ also came to where the people were. And that He was at the same time separate from sinners. And that He was pure and sinless. And that He was ground to powder. And that He faced the wrath of God. uh, So that we could uh, think about the, the grinding and the judgment of God. And that we could receive sweetness from the judgment that fell upon Jesus Christ. And then, just as the manna was placed before the testimony, Jesus Christ enters into the presence of God, having justified us. You see, the manna that we find in Exodus chapter 6 is much more than food. It is a foreshadow of what Jesus Christ is to mean to us. But, it is the true manna from heaven. No wonder Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone. You've ever been hungry? And you had your hunger satisfied for a moment. It was temporal. A few hours later, you got to eat again to, to be satisfied again. And really, when you think about that manna, it had to be repeated. But Jesus Christ satisfies once for all. And His sacrifice does not need to be repeated. It is sufficient. And so, we talked this morning, the theme for the here is Jesus highly exalted. Why? Because Jesus is our manna that came from heaven. And He in Him is all that we need.